Welcome to Therapists in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner Physical Therapy. Welcome back, listeners. If you didn't catch on from the 50 in the intro, it is our 50th episode of Therapists in Motion. So I'm super, super stoked about it. I had an idea for, I listened to several podcasts, and some of them have names for their listeners. Like Dak Shepard, he calls his armchair expert and his listeners are the armchairies. And Pete Holmes, he does, uh, what is his called? I'm blanking on what his, you made it weird. And he calls his listeners the weirdos. So I want to know, I want you guys to give us some feedback. What resonates with you about this podcast and what would you like to be called? Just be interesting because I want to start calling you guys something. It's 50, like we're, it's a big deal. To me, anyway. And as long as we're kind of on that road there, if you are a listener and you like this, please subscribe to our podcast because what will happen is it will pop up. As soon as we release it, you'll see it pop up on your phone and you'll be the first to know about new stuff that we have coming out. So thank you very much for doing that in advance. Today's podcast, we're going to continue the journey podcast um, about our individual journeys. And the background for this idea... Kind of came from Dan and I sitting around one day and talking about what do we want to do next for for the podcast because we've done the Google PT series and it kind of came to me that, you know, we've talked about most of the stuff that's inside our wheelhouse. We have had the pleasure of talking about what we love to talk about and what we feel confident talking about for a majority of these podcasts. And that's great, but it also comes off like we know everything that we're talking about, which I definitely don't. I will be one to say that. Um, and I think the guys would disagree or would, would agree with me. So so I thought about what, why don't we just do a podcast about our journeys and what we're not good at, what we could improve upon, where we've come from. And so that, that's kind of the birthplace of that. In doing this, <laughs> I came up with my weaknesses or my areas for improvement when I first started thinking about this, and the four top ones I came up with were leadership, public speaking, vulnerability, and time management. So I'm like, perfect. So let's do a solo podcast by yourself in like around 30, 40 minutes, and that'll toss you outside your comfort zone. So <laughs> so for sure, I'm outside my comfort zone doing this, but I'm a huge proponent of people telling their story. Because we are a species, a communicative species. We learn by other people's stories. And Dan's story and my story are not the same at all. And I feel like when people tell their story, you know you're not alone. You can identify with someone's struggle, someone's difficulty, someone's perspective. And if anything, that can help you along your way. And so that's really kind of the point of doing this. To preface for mine, in no way do I feel like my journey is perfect, nor do I feel like everybody could probably learn from it. There's plenty of people that I know who know exactly who they are. They know what they want. They know, they've known what they wanted since they were little. Um, and they'll continue that path through their majority of their lives, you know, outside of the unexpected in life. But I'm doing this because I'm not that way. I've made many mistakes. I've been asleep at the wheel for a lot of my life, and I've learned from the mistakes that I've made. So 
my hope is that you'll feel comforted knowing that if you're like that, you're not alone. None of us know exactly what's going to happen. And hopefully I'll say something that resonates with you. So I'll start with my story. My story. Um, the best I could say is, have you ever, when you were a kid, gone on a vacation with your parents and you fall asleep in the back seat and you wake up and you're like in a different state or things are very, very different. You're at a gas station and you don't remember stopping um, like your mom's inside and you're like, where did mom go? You're all off. And <laughs> you're like, what is happening in this moment? It takes you a little bit to figure out what's going on. Um, that's that. That's kind of my story. I felt like Dan's story was much more detailed and directed. It's like, I was here. I knew I kind of wanted this area and this person connected me to this person. Uh, that's not me at all. I've, I've kind of fumbled along the way with, with my journey. Um, I've lived most of my adult life not having the slightest clue what I was doing or why I was doing it. And so to start off, just a tiny little piece about me before I get into my professional life. I have always, since I was a little girl, had anxiety. And that has been a huge gift for me and a huge curse for me through my career. Um, so it's going to come up a couple times as I'm talking about my journey. But to start, going into undergrad, I had no idea. Um, I, I wanted, I initially went to, I'm from Missouri. I went to Southwest, at the time it was called Southwest Missouri State University. Now it's called Missouri State University in Springfield, Missouri. And I went with the major of broadcast journalism because I wanted that life. I wanted, I think I wanted the city life. I wanted to be the next Katie Couric the one that stands out and interviews people in the big city with the nice coffee shop behind her. Like, it looked pretty and nice to me. didn't really have much more. I think if somebody would have pinned me down, why do you want this? I really wouldn't have known at that point. But I went to Missouri State University, and my dad to this day says, you know, when we pulled away and left you there, I knew. I knew it wasn't going to be for you, but I had to let you do it. It's like, kudos to my parents for knowing me and still letting me make my mistakes, but... So that very first week, I went into one of my classes. I don't remember the name of it now, but our, our professor came in day one, and she's like, listen up. I know you guys. I know what you guys want. You want the fame and the fortune. She seemed a little bitter at the time. And I was like, this is a little intense. She's like, but I'm going to show you exactly what it's like. The very first thing we're going to do, the first you know experience you're going to have is what it's like to actually interview somebody on the news. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. We're going to go to the studio. You're going to have the cameras in front of you. We're going to do this next class. So we picked from a lottery somebody that we were going to interview in our class. And we were supposed to prep questions for that next class time, come dressed up, ready for the interview. So I get all excited. I go home. I write my questions out. Then the day comes for that experiment and meet at the studio. And it's overwhelming because there's lights everywhere and cameras and just different than I ever imagined for some reason. And I'm the first one that has to go. And so she sits me in the chair and I kid you not, probably pokes and prods at me and moves me and shapes me for like two to three minutes. I want you to put your head at this tilt. I want your legs to be crossed. But I want your toe to point this way because we want your ankle to show like this and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there so uncomfortable. I'm like, I can't be in this position and then relax and have a conversation with this person. I completely froze. For those of you that care, I totally bombed the assignment. Like I just, <laughs> it was not a good thing. But it was the, one of the first moments in my life that I'm like, 
my gut's telling me this this is not right for me. Like this is not where I need to be. I don't know where I need to be, but this is not where I need to be. And so I ended up finishing out that semester. But then I took a year off and it came around to August again, like July, August, and my mom, I was living with my parents at the time, said, you know, they say statistically if kids take off more than a year from college, they never go back. And so for those of you who watched How I Met Your Mother, I'm like, challenge accepted. Like, this is not going to happen to me. I'm going to go back. I'm going to show her. And thank you, mom, for knowing me better than I knew myself at that point. I went and got my car mad frustrated and I just drove around for a while and listening to the radio on came this school psychologist and she was asked you know it's time for kids to go back to school what do you tell kids that don't want don't know what they want to do don't know what they want to major in and I'm like thinking you've got to be kidding me this is crazy so I turn up the volume and she was like you know there's jobs for everything I tell them to ask themselves two questions number one When you were a kid and you had all day to do anything you wanted, what would you do? Number two, what's something you've always found challenging but intimidating? Like you're curious about it, but it's very intimidating to you. So the first question for me, I answered easily because I was super tomboy, loved to be outside, loved to play sports. So I was definitely like, okay, sports is my my first one. Um, Second one took me a while, and I was a weak stomach kid. And I was nervous, and I knew that I was kind of intrigued by shows about the hospitals and doctors and things like that, but I grew up in a small town. I didn't have a lot of experience with it, but I'm like, okay, against my better judgment, I'm going to say the medical field, even though I don't think I have the stomach for it. I put the two together, and sports medicine was what I came up with, and so I go home, and I Google sports medicine. And I find that it's an actual bachelor's program. Like, you can do a bachelor's in sports medicine. I had no idea. So I got excited about that. And that's how I found my undergrad in Missouri. It was uh, Missouri Baptist University in St. Louis. And I loved it. Those of you who have been on this journey, you can be in sports medicine and not still have a clue what you want to do with it. It's almost like, congratulations, you have your bachelor's. What are you going to (laughs) do? And... Our last semester, they had us do a internship, and the internship could be paid, could be unpaid. They just wanted you to get experience in something. They weren't really that specific. It could have been go to a massage clinic. It could have been a in the athletic training office taping. It could have been at a PT clinic. It could have been with a Cairo anywhere. At that time, I had low cash flow. So I'm like, if I'm going to spend any more time doing this stuff, it's going to be while I'm getting paid. So I take my resume around and finally got a job as a technician at Pro Rehab. It was called Pro Rehab at the time in Missouri. And it was a clinic where the technicians were kind of all for everybody. There wasn't a one-on-one real setup with the PT and the tech, but I worked mainly with a therapist named Stacy Rosenbaum. And she made me miserable at first. <laughs> she hated me at first. I was trying so hard, but she would say, you know, I want you to go over and give a lat stretch to that patient over there. And I would, okay. And she said, where does the lat insert? And I would look at her like deer in the head. Like, I don't know where the lat inserts. She'd say, well, you better know because that's what you're giving them. And I would get so mad because I'm like, no, you're giving it to them. I'm the one that's actually delivering the message, but 
this is frustrating. Like, but it drove me and I get it now. Like, she's like, you need to know this. It's going to help you. And I see that you're falling in love with this and you need to have a head start and understand the why behind what I'm doing. And so I, um, yeah, I fell in love with it and I decided to apply to PT school. I applied to one PT school. <laughs> I applied to Washington University in St. Louis. I don't know why. At the time, it was the number one school. Um, I don't think I did that because it was the number one school. I think I did it because it was the easy button and it was in my hometown and I didn't have to go anywhere. And yeah, I just didn't have the presence of mind. I didn't want to move anywhere. I didn't want to try harder than I had to at that at that time. So somehow, don't ask me how, I got into WashU. And my time at WashU opened up my mind to what they would call then cause versus source treatment. I don't know if they still use that verbiage, but the idea of MSI, movement system impairment, created by Shirley Sarman. And it was the first time I really thought about why would somebody have an issue? They're coming with to you with hip pain. What about their movement would cause this? Why would they have it in the first place? And the way that it worked at WashU was you would understand, okay, if, if they have shoulder pain, let's look at the whole scapula. Let's see if the scapula moves in a dysfunctional way. Let's see if the scapula isn't loading correctly, if there's a problem with stability there. And that was light bulb for me. I love the idea of being able to look at the chain. I came out of school and moved to Phoenix to Spooner, my first job and only job for nine years, thinking I was ahead of the game because at WashU it was like, oh, we know to look for why somebody has the issue. The problem was for me that when it came to the exercises that they gave, they were very specific, very isolated, boring it was like, if I was the patient, I don't think I'd do these exercises at home because I understand what you're trying to do, but this doesn't really look like my golf swing. This doesn't look like walking. This looks like me trying to get a perfect rotation of my shoulder. And that's just my opinion, but it led to me kind of burning out by about year three because I was trying really hard to understand the why behind it, but I didn't have enough to connect the dots. Um, they had set me up with a really good foundation. I just, it, it wasn't enough for me. And so I had always been very resistant to applied functional science. And I'd been talked to about it a lot because people could see she's struggling with connecting the kinetic chain. And I think she would gravitate to this very well. I didn't see it because again, I'm just in my own little world. And I think therapy for me, as an aside, it helped my anxiety because for the first time, I got to be present with the patient. And it was the only time in my world that I wasn't stuck in my head and just spinning was when I was with the patient listening to them about what was going on. And so I started to figure out like, this is really like, this is good for me because I can sit down with them. And I know this is when my anxiety is better. I didn't know why. And so I started to search for different Kanai classes. I took one on METs, muscle energy techniques for the lumbosacral region. And they taught a lot of techniques, how to correct different torsions and rotations and upslips. And I could not memorize that to save my life. And I just stopped doing them because I'm like, this is dumb. I can't memorize it. I'm not going to look back in my book every single time. Just no. And so 
I didn't, I just, okay, where do I go from here? I finally ended up taking Chain Reaction, um, which is a course through the Gray Institute. And that course talked about from the bottom up, what does the foot do? What's the ignition of the foot? How does it turn on the muscles of the lower extremity? How does it get your hip to fire? And it was a weekend course, so they couldn't go into a whole lot of depth. But I remember thinking, that's it. Like, that's it. That's what I wanted to know. That's the connection of the dots that I've needed this entire time. I'm into this. And so within the next year, I ended up going into the GIFT program, which is um, Applied Functional Sciences 40-week fellowship. And it was very, very difficult, but it started to wake me up professionally. You know, I had mentioned I'd always been better with the patient as far as my anxiety, but I started to realize why. You know, you're getting these connections to the mechanical chain and you're understanding that the foot can cause back pain. And and I'm like, this is why. This is what we do. This is our responsibility to understand the whole chain, the whole person, and why things happen. And I felt for the first time in my career like I was on a journey that was going to lead me to where I could finally feel capable of answering questions that I'd been asked for three, four years and had no answer to. Outside of that, it started to focus on the mind, the body, and the spirit. Like, what about a person draws them to you? And how are people driven? Um, They talked about pain, fear, and guilt being the top three drivers of any human change. And, you know, people are scared to move or they're scared to come to therapy or um, they have pain, which is a main reason a lot of people come to see us. And how do you connect with that? How do you find that, connect with it, and then build this bridge with them to where that they can actually trust you with their body and learning to make it more efficient? And I just latched onto that and started to understand more about myself, my spiritual, my mental capacity, how that helped me connect with the patient. It was almost just that's where I found my passion and started to love that. I'd always wondered, you know, people, people, I don't get everybody better. Like some people I don't get better at all and they come back. Like what is going on with that? You know, it's I, I didn't have a why, but now I'm like, oh, to some people it might be obvious. To me it wasn't. It's like they have this connection to you and you make them feel better even if it's not physically. You're making them feel better by just caring and being there and being in the moment with them and that's sometimes the most powerful thing you can do. And that gave me so many open doors for treatment, for relaxing, for just being there and not having this pressure of I have to fix them, I have to fix them, I have to fix them. And for me, understanding and relaxing and I don't know and it's okay to not know, but I'm going to give you my 100% today was what I needed to just let go and enjoy what I do again. So it kind of leads into the importance of why. As a part of practice performance, I feel like I'm always asking people, you know, why are you doing what you're doing? Why do you think this person has this issue? Um, what are the different factors that are affecting this certain issue? So whether it be able, be able, whether it be being able to connect the dots in the kinetic chain, or whether it be why is this person crying to me in this session? You know, I think people deserve better. They deserve us to follow our passions. They deserve somebody that's going to sit and be present with them. They deserve us to integrate what we love as much as we can with them, to be honest with them, and to connect with them. Because in our automated 
five to ten minute quick doctor's appointment world, they want connection. They want the human experience. And that's so, so important. And that's a main driver of any and everything I do now because it's opened up a door for me that says when I'm present with somebody and present in my own life, I'm I can control my anxiety. I love what I do. I'm passionate about what I do. I can go down all these roads, all these roads that lead me to other things that I want to know about. And I will never, never get tired of that journey. That leads me to about 2017 when I had my second burnout. I, burnout I, burnout's kind of a strong term for it. I was getting bored um, with just the monotony of my schedule and started to think about it, pray about it for me. And it was within a month that I got asked to be a part of the practice performance team. So that was awesome for me. Like, okay, all this mentoring that I've done, all this passion that I've put into the company as far as why are you doing what you're doing? And this is what's important about our profession. It's starting to pay off. And now I get to have the privilege to apply this company-wide. Um, and I got to change my schedule and I got to get a little bit more variety with it. And so outside of that, within the last two years, I've done um, gotten more into understanding more deeply the more than the musculoskeletal system, but the neural system, the visceral system, how those structures. Um, I'll tell patients, you know, if you're playing a card game, organs, vasculature, nerves, nerve neural system trumps the musculoskeletal system every time. And so if your body wants to protect something, it's going to protect a vital organ. It's going to protect circulation. It's going to protect the nerves. And the muscles are going to react to that. And so understanding, have a real, having a really deep understanding of the nervous system, of where the nerves go in their path and what they do and the visceral system and what that impacts and referral patterns. It is something that I've just started a journey on the last two years, but I will never fully, fully understand, but I'll always try because I'm curious about it. And so for me, finding what I'm curious about, being present to where I'm at, what I love has been probably the biggest factor, the biggest um, invaluable moments in my career is just kind of awakening to those things. And it's helped me on a personal level as well. Um, so that whole time I kind of thought about it. I was reflecting on this. It's like, what do I want for people to hear about this? I think the idea of just being curious of your your path. I've never been in control of it. I never knew where I was going. I knew I started to figure out what I was passionate about and what I loved. I still didn't know what I wanted to do with it. And I'm still here. And I'm still doing what I love to do. And I've found the importance of reflection, the importance of looking back and seeing where have I gone? Where have I been? Who are the people that have been integral in this journey of mine? And how do I do my best to keep going, keep pushing myself? Because I think, you know, it's okay to not know everything. You're not going to know everything, but you need to want to know everything and push yourself to knowing more and so we can help people because that's what we do. So I, I honestly feel like I'm in my sweet spot. I listen to a, a podcast called The Ken Coleman Show 
And he talks about being in your sweet spot is the intersection of your passion and your talent. And your talent's easy to understand. It's like what you're good at. But your passion is what do you lose time, lose, lose track of time doing? What, what excites you? And you just kind of forget where you're at in the moment. And so the intersection of those two things is the definition of your sweet spot. And I feel like I've really found my sweet spot. So my wish for you is that you find your sweet spot, that you be curious about your own path, that you look back and realize all the things that have happened to get you where you're at right now, um, that it's okay to not know if you don't know, relax in the certainty that you'll end up right where you need to be, and start to tap into what you think your passions might be. So yeah, thank you so much for listening to this. I'm humbled to get to share my journey with you. If you have any questions, you can always email us at therapistinmotion at spoonerpt.com and we will be looking forward to Paul's upcoming journey podcast soon. So thanks so much. Thanks.